tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Our free phone number won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, Tipperary County Council budget passed with a rate increase. We'll be speaking about a proposed hotel development for Cashel. Calls for changes to existing drug legislation. Living with a stoma. And Tommy Fleming is with us in studio. So all of that and much, much more on the way. Now you can text in WhatsApp 083-311-3311 and you can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. We'll also play match three in association with Stakedoms a little later on in the programme. So if you want to register for that, just put match three, followed by your name and your details on your text or on your WhatsApp. Quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. The Examiner, first of all, and they're telling us in their banner headline that parties reject need for armed Gardaí. Fianna Fáil and the Green Party have ruled out uh, arming rank and file Gardaí after Tánis de Leo Varadkars said he would back an armed force if Garda Commissioner Drew Harris requested it. To the Irish Independent and their headline, a scale of gender pay gap at top firms in the spotlight and men at Irish headquartered companies operating in the UK are earning significantly more than their female colleagues. The Independent is revealing today the findings based primarily on UK data uh, give an insight ahead of Ireland's first gender pay gap reporting season when uh, firms with more than 250 staff will have to disclose any differences in pay. To the Irish Daily Mail, developers to get tax breaks. Where have you heard that before? Uh, the incoming Taoiseach, Leo Radcar, wants to drive a raft of initiatives in housing, including tax breaks for builders, incentives for small uh, landlords and uh, getting Pascal Donoghue to loosen the purse strings somewhat as well. The Irish Times uh, pledged to end direct provision likely to be shelved. Now the government's uh, commitment to end direct provision by 2024 looks set to be shelved in light of continuing accommodation pressures exacerbated by the war in the Ukraine. So that's a quick peek at some of the headlines in some of your newspapers today. If you want to comment on any of those headlines, 083-311-3311. Now, the majority of Tipperary County Council members voted to approve the local authority's largest ever budget for next year. It's more than $205.6 million and includes a 5% rise in commercial rates in businesses. Next year's budget was passed by 33 votes to four at the end of a marathon meeting that lasted over five hours at the Council's Clonmel Civic offices on Friday. And uh, Councillor Michael Murphy was one of four councillors who rejected the budget. He joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Frank. And thanks for coming on with us today. And this follows our conversation ahead of the meeting, indeed, uh, last week. Was this a tough decision for you? An extremely tough decision, uh, Fran. Um, I'm a councillor since 2009. It's the first time I voted against uh, a budget. Uh, it was particularly difficult for me to vote um, against my colleagues as well. But look, I felt very strongly that um, a rates increase at this point in time uh, was the wrong decision, was the wrong proposal. 
I fully understand that the council needs to raise uh, additional revenue, uh, in particular to secure match funding for RRDF projects announced recently and imminent uh, URDF applications that will be launched for Clonmel uh, and Nina. It was a marathon meeting, Fran, over five hours. It's safe to say that the main area of contention was the rates increase. Um, I do accept that there is an early payment scheme uh, in place to alleviate, to cushion that increase for many small businesses. But as I said to you last uh, Friday or last Monday, I think it was Fran, for many businesses, they simply don't have the cash flow uh, to avail of the early payment uh, scheme. Um, they're struggling. Uh, they're basically hanging on by a thread. Certainly the businesses that I'm talking to on an almost uh, daily basis since they've emerged from the pandemic, any cash reserves that they've had have been wiped out. I spoke to one business owner. He pays approximately €16,000 in rates. Uh, he employs seven people. Uh, he hasn't paid himself a, a wage uh, since the um, outbreak of the war in Ukraine. Any spare cash he has, he's hoping that that will uh, go towards paying uh, his increased uh, energy costs. So he cannot uh, avail uh, of the early payment scheme and said to me that any rates increase would uh, literally just break his spirit and whether he'll continue or not now is a decision he's going to take in the coming weeks and months. The second main reason that I voted against the budget, again, because of the rates, was it needs to be acknowledged that Tipperary recently went through a revaluation um, and uh, the Councillor absolutely correct. 60% of ratepayers in Tipperary uh, had a reduction uh, in their rates, but there are 30% of businesses that had an increase. And that uh, translates to 2,180 businesses whose rates increased uh, because of the revaluation. And those are the two key reasons why I had, and it was with a heavy heart, I said that, it was with a heavy heart that I voted against uh, the budget uh, on... on um, uh, on Friday last, and uh, that's mm. where it remains. Uh, the meeting was adjourned for political party groups to consult and negotiate. Was there a lot of argy-bargy in, in Fine Gael over this? Um, we in Fine Gael, I'm very fortunate to work with uh, 11 amazing councillors, and we abs- we broke yeah, part of the adjournment, and we worked constructively during that 15, 20, I think it was maybe, it ended up a 30-minute uh, adjournment, but there was absolutely no argy-bargy. Um, uh, that's the way you put it, Fran, absolutely not. Uh, we do what we always do. We work constructively. Mm. Um, it was a very difficult decision for all of my colleagues, all of my colleagues. Um, but I want to thank my colleagues who understood the difficult situation that both myself mm. and John Fitzgerald and Clamel were in in particular. Right, but well, there must have been great difficulty between yourselves and uh, Marie Murphy, for example, because she, she seconded the proposal. Uh, so. She did. Uh, there, was, there was never um, a difficult word between myself and Marie. I work with... Uh, uh, very closely with Marie. Marie did a, an amazing job. She does an amazing job uh, as a uh, party whip. And again, I want to reiterate that um, Marie understood a difficult situation that both myself and John mm. uh, were in. But absolutely, we move on. Right. So uh, if you break the whip, Michael, what position uh, are you in now, yourself and John? Well, I did confirm uh, in, in your meeting on Monday, I think the way I put it, Fran, that uh, sometimes you have to make the right decision irrespective of the consequences. But we did have a party meeting. We had a number of meetings uh, during the week. And we did secure um, a free vote and I want to thank Marie for that uh, so in other words the um, whip wasn't imposed for the vote mm. on Friday. Could I put it to you that you would have had a, a fair good idea that this wasn't going to go your way um, and then if we hark back to what Siobhan Ambrose said about you Michael that you know what, was it populist? Uh, Fran um, 
Look, those that know me, um, as I said, I'm a councillor for the last um, 12, 13 years. I do what I do in the best interests of the the people that I represent uh, my electoral area. Uh, in this case, it's Clonmel and surrounding areas. I do so with a sense of pride and passion, but always with sincerity. And the vote I took on, on Friday, I've taken difficult decisions in the past, Fran. Let's put it on the record that I have voted for uh, increases um, uh, in LPT. Mm-hmm. Very, very difficult decision. Came in for a lot of criticism. If I was... Uh, taking the easy option every time in previous uh, budgets, I wouldn't have voted for LPT increases. And let me be clear, Fran, I understand that at some stage we have to increase the rates. We have the lowest rate in the uh, in the country, but this was the wrong time. Um, so let me be clear, should a, a rates increase proposal be put to us in two or three three years' time and the economic outlook was much improved, perhaps I would have uh, considered uh, voting, if it, but not at this point in time. But I absolutely reject uh, any calling into question of my integrity in the context of how I voted last Friday. Will you stay with me for a moment, Michael, because Sinn Féin's two councillors, David Dunn and Tony Black, voted to approve uh, the budget. And uh, this was the first time, indeed, uh, that they supported a council's budget since their election. And David Dunn joins me. Good morning to you, Davy. Um, This this is a conversation I wasn't sure you and I would be having. You supported the council's budget this time round. Good morning, Frank. Good morning to your listeners and good morning to Michael. Um, I understand uh, where Michael was coming from. Uh, Listen intently. Michael is not one that does populism, and I have to say that on the record. Um, As a a colleague of mine um, in the council, I, I have great respect for Michael, and I know, as he said himself on the day, it was with a heavy heart he had to do this. And as you rightly said, you weren't expecting to have this uh, conversation with me and probably Michael is not expecting to be on the line with me either because um, normally he, he'd be on after voting for it and I'd be after voting against it. But um, the reason this is an historical occasion for, for Sinn Féin in, in, in that we're voting for the budget because it does what it says on the tin. It protects the small ratepayers and it, and it makes the, the bigger ratepayers pay a little bit more uh, they wanted 7%, we reduced it to 5%, we, t- we protected the small businesses and we're guaranteed the funding now. Like We got £38 million into into Tipperary and with a lot more to come, I mean, Carrick and Shore got £14 million. Uh, we We have to have match funding for nearly close to £4 million for that. If we didn't get that £14, £4 million, we'd lose the £14 million. Uh, it's, it, was, it was a straightforward... Uh, decision for me and, mm. and Tony is in resp- to be responsible uh, and to make the right decision. You can't welcome... Right, you were, but you were you were being accused over the years of being irresponsible by not supporting budgets in, in the no. past. Is this a case that it suits your own backyard, uh, Davey, and, you know? Uh, no, well, Fran, uh, I wouldn't accept that now in, 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 at all. Um, I could have made... To, our two votes made no difference. To, uh, to the overall. 33 voted for it, four, four voted against it. There was three separate votes. Um, one, the first vote uh, was taken. I supported Pat, Pat, Councillor Pat English in relation to taking away conference money, uh, or not conference money, overseas money that councils have to travel overseas and to put into playgrounds. Mm. That vote was, was soundly beaten. The next vote was on the rates rebate that was passed uh, unanimously, and the, th- and the third vote then was on the the, the rates increase. Mm. You know, I mean, look, I, the easy thing for us to do would have been to vote 
to abstain. But can, can I ask you, if the rate w- was left at 7%, would you still have voted in favour? Uh, no, no, I couldn't. I could, no, that would have been too much of a jump. Like, uh, like Councillor Murphy has explained it fairly well. We had, a, we, Carrick and Shore, my hometown, had the lowest rate in the whole of Ireland uh, mm. when, and, and when the merger happened. And there was, uh, the rates uh, were harmonised and a lot of ratepayers in Clamell came down in the rates because they had one of the highest in Tipperary. So they actually came down where the one over a five year period caricature came level with Clamel. Right. We're still way we're still way below the national average. And and, and the point that Michael is making that at another time when we're not in the position that we're in financially, maybe this would be acceptable. But what about the optics of this right now when all businesses right across the board are really struggling, Davy? There's no there's no counsellor uh, in, in, in the 40 councillors, I'd say there was no councillor done this, uh, 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 w- would have done this if there wasn't a, the, the, the chance of getting in this huge amount of money into Tipperary. They, every one of us done it with a heavy heart. And no one wants to see, we all understand that businesses are suffering and suffering badly. But if we don't get this in, this money invested into our towns and renew our town centres, there'll be a lot more business go to the wall. Right, uh, but, but this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back uh, now. I, I doubt it. If, if if rates are going to close our business, well, it it it, it their business is not viable. You know what I mean? It's you know like we need to get football into the town centres. We need to make the town centres more viable, and that will increase the, the profits that the, Mike, uh, Michael. What what about that comment, Michael? That if this would bring a business to the wall, maybe the business isn't feasible anyway. Um, I don't think you know that probably recognizes the extent uh, you know what the challenges that businesses are facing on a daily basis and i gave that concrete example of that individual that applies seven people mm. um they they you know things will improve um the war in ukraine will eventually um uh, end uh, people will you know consumer sentiment is very very low uh, at the moment uh, but things will improve and what businesses need at the moment is to be able to transition through this crisis as they did may I say, during the pandemic. They transitioned from the pandemic into this crisis. They survived the pandemic. And I've no doubt that they will survive this particular crisis as well. But what we need to do at Tipperary County Council level is to make decisions that won't impact on their spirit and on their will to survive. Davy, can I finally ask you, have you had any um, comeback on this from businesses? Have people gotten on to no, you? No, I, I, I spoke to the Car Control Business Association before I made up my mind to vote. I, I, I discussed why the with as many people as possible, including senior party figures. And, uh, like, I was mandated, and I stood on the platform of voting against the, the property tax, or not to increase the property tax. And, uh, and that's what I'm mandated to. Uh, on, on the budget, we were given, uh, like, similar to what Michael was, we were given a free vote to make up our mind on the day. Uh, we, we decided, after consultation with the Cahira, I have to say, in fairness to, to Fianna Fáil, they came over and they discussed it with the Fianna Gael, didn't. Uh, there was a group of independents and ourselves sitting around and Fianna Fáil came over and discussed it with us. Fianna Gael were outside the room, they didn't discuss it with what us. What about that, Michael? You didn't discuss it with Sinn Féin. Well, perhaps that's a sign of what's going to happen maybe nationally after last general election. If people vote for Sinn Féin, we could potentially have a Fianna Fáil, Fianna, uh, Sinn Féin coalition at the national level. That's interesting, well, Davy. What do you make of that? No, that, that's, that's just a, a glib comment from Michael because I, I, I'd expect more from Michael than that because the two parties are identical now, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. They were the two parties that had to force this. They should have been the ones that carried this vote and they, they couldn't even carry their own party. Three of them jumped ship. So I think Michael might be looking for a membership card off of me.
Michael, uh, do you want that membership card in the post? Uh, I declined that uh, offer, Fran. All right, uh, Michael and David, thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Councillors, uh, Michael uh, Murphy there, and indeed uh, Davy as well from uh, Caricature. Davy Dunn speaking to us this morning as well. 1800 938 007. Uh, the text and WhatsApp 083 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Listener describing uh, themselves as being an old age pensioner in Thurless. All these councillors who voted for increasing the local property tax and rates are heartless and only securing their salaries and travelling perks for the future. They're oblivious to the present economic climate. That's in from one listener. Somebody else saying the council has given up on struggling businesses, renewing our town centres with badly thought out projects. Into us on text. The bottom line is Sinn Féin is popular and now Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have become the one party to keep them out, it says here. Uh, good morning, Fran. Shame on the councillors who voted for the increase. Davy should run a business for a year. He wouldn't be long coming into the real world. And well done to Michael, it says here. Another listener saying uh, Tip have the lowest rates in the country. And Tip FM walked the two Fine Gael lads into the vote last week with the interview. After the meeting, it was on another radio station that uh, 85% have a reduction, if anything, it says here. I don't think, I, I think you're not doing credit to uh, councillors uh, Murphy and uh, Fitzgerald there. They're very much their own men and they make up their own mind. And I wish we had that kind of uh, influence. 083 311 Now, two opposition parties have pushed for major reforms to uh, legalise, uh, I beg your pardon, to legislate to decriminalise uh, some drugs. Now, people for profit and Labour are lobbying for changes to existing laws following similar developments in other countries. But the Minister for State, with responsibility for drug strategy, said the government does not plan to decriminalise. Now, people before Profit TD, Gino Kenny, joins me now. Gino, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Thanks and thanks, thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. You describe this, uh, Gina, uh, Gino, as a moderate bill, um, which is the start of a national conversation that we need to have. But I would have thought that we've been having this conversation for quite some time, Gino. Yeah, we we have, Fran. Um, but the problem is that nothing really has been done. We, You know, the government has paid a lot of lip service in relation to harm reduction, health-led approach. But until you really kind of change the laws around, you know, uh, the misuse of drug acts, then we're kind of, we're talking lip service. Mm. Uh, because obviously the laws were, you know, they're 42 years old. Uh, I think Ireland has moved on um, completely in relation to where where our kind of attitude to drug use is. Um, and the world has moved on, um, so we have to move on. And the only way to do that is to have a discussion. But in order to have, you know, with that discussion, we need to kind of look at the laws that criminalise people. Because criminalising people for any sort of drug, 
for personal use is literally a waste of time and a waste of resources and all that. And I think the majority of people actually would agree with me. You, you make uh, the comparison fun, yeah. to, to how we treat alcohol, for example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if obviously if somebody has problematic use uh, with alcohol, there's a different approach. You know, we won't, you know, sideline them and, you know, and stigmatise them to a certain degree and maybe bring them to the criminal justice system. That generally wouldn't happen. But somebody would use, say, cannabis, for example, in relation to the line put forward, like they're brought before the court mm. for small small amounts. Now, I just don't see what purpose that serves at all. And again, and I think the vast majority of people will agree on kind of that sentiment. So we have to do something out of because a lot, you know, in this country we pay a lot of lip service to a lot of things, but we don't actually do something tangible to change the law. And the bill I put forward last Thursday does try to do that. It actually tries to take up people if they want to use cannabis. That's their business away from the criminal justice system. You know, it's not legalisation, it's decriminalisation. So decriminalising the person, you know, the, can- the cannabis that they'd be u- still using would be still illegal, unfortunately. I think it's a better system uh, around kind of a regulatory system because then you still have the, the black market. Uh, because eventually, what's happened in Ireland is that because the demand for drugs is incrementally has increased over the last number of decades, somebody has to fill that vacuum. And basically who's filled that vacuum is black market criminal gangs. So that's what's happened. Uh, but we need to kind of take control back because all these drugs are controlled drugs, meaning uh, they're only allowed to be in the hands of, of the state. But largely they're controlled by the, the black market. So we've allowed this to happen. Mm. Um, and there's no regulation. Around cannabis, there's no regulation. Uh, it's, you know... In relation to revenue, you, can, you know, if, if it was legalised tomorrow, it could generate a lot of money in relation to, you know, people that use cannabis. And that would go towards more progressive things in society rather than, you know, fuel and, and, and funding uh, criminal gangs. Well, so, it, isn't it interesting that it's even difficult to get cannabis for medical use, so might I say anything else, do you know? So it, I'm just wondering yeah. how, you know, we have a long way to go. We have, we have, Fran, we have a long way to go, but it's, it's, it's important we have this discussion. Um, I think, you know, the tide is going out on prohibition. You look at what's happening in Luxembourg, Malta, they basically legalised cannabis for personal use. Germany, uh, the biggest country in Europe, uh, in, in the European well, Union... they haven't done it yet. Sure they have. But they will, but they will do it. In the yeah. next year and a half, they will legalise cannabis for personal use and that will be a, system, a regulatory system. Now, if Germany is going to do it, you would think the end of prohibition is near in relation to the European Union. So we've seen Canada, we've seen the United States, we've even seen in Colombia. I mean, in Colombia, a country that has been absolutely wrecked by kind of drug war and support, even the president that says, look, we can't continue this kind of policy. It's just counterproductive. So I think the the narrative is changing. And I think, you know, I think it's better. Regardless if you use cannabis or not, it's irrelevant, really. But you have to look at this kind of objectively. And does a system of, of a regulatory system uh, where people, make, you know, adults make informed choices whether they use cannabis or not, not by the black market, but by a kind of a, a dispensary system, a not-for-profit system, is that system better than, you know, the system that we have now? I, I, 
believe it is. I believe it is. You know, all the arguments, I presume you've heard them a million times over, that, you know, cannabis then can be a gateway drug to, you know, class A drugs and harder drugs. And there's also the issue of the effect and, you know, some scientists uh, coming up with uh, research on this, the effect it can have on the young mind, for example, and lead towards depression and uh, maybe trigger certain genetic um, situations like schizophrenia and the like as well. You've heard, you've heard this. And I have, what, yes. what, what do you say to that, Gina? Well, for, first of all, to answer your first question, is cannabis a gateway drug to harder drugs like heroin, crack cocaine? It's not. It's simply not. There's no evidence that, you know, that, you know, that is the case. Because uh, that was a kind of phrase that was used in the 1980s, a very kind of jaded phrase that people, a lot of people use cannabis but never ever touch crack cocaine or heroin. You know, you can't compare them to uh, substances, you know, just can't, you know. Heroin and crack will kill people. Cannabis will not kill people. Right, but I thought you could have used this as an argument for yourself uh, by saying that, you know, if you legalise it, at least I'm not going to the black market for my cannabis then, which is also um, someplace I could go to get cocaine or get heroin. Yeah, but I mean, look, at I, I just don't buy their argument that this is a gateway drug. The gateway drug for people to use heroin and crack cocaine is not, is not cannabis. It's poverty and alienation that people, you know, experience in life. Mm. And I know, and I know this from personal experience. I know this from experience where I grew up. It's just not. That's just not the case. It's just a bogus argument. In, in your, your question in relation to... Mental health. Uh, yeah, I understand. We're aware of potency of cannabis over the last 15 years has changed. It, you know, when I was growing up, it was kind of, it was cannabis resin, it was kind of a low THC yes. level. Now, it's quite um, high THC, which is the psychoactive part of uh, cannabis. Um, and that has much more potent than cannabis resin. But you would ask, and I understand, we're cognizant of the, like the potential harms for mental health and relation to adolescent use and so forth. But also, if you don't have a regulatory system, which we don't have at the moment, mm. then it cannot be regulated. So this is the kind of the issue. If you don't have, you know, any sort of regulation, then the black market will control not only the supply but actually what actually is in it. So people actually that are consuming kind of don't even know what's in it. It's just crazy what's what's about to happen. So in that in that system, we have a regulatory system for people if they want to use cannabis. You know, then they are like know exactly what's in it. People don't want to. Oh, what you would see it being regulated by the government then in some ways. That is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, it's not. This is not kind of stuff that's kind of far fetched. This has happened in other countries, very advanced countries, where you know, said, look at the system that we have at the moment regarding black to black market in relation to potency, just is pushing people towards, you know, the black market and so forth. It doesn't work. Here's a system that the regulatory system where we control it, we regulate it, and there's better outcomes for everybody. It's not to say that people will still, even in a regulatory system, would people have dependency on cannabis? Of course they are. There's a lot of people can depend on a lot of things. You know? But that system of kind of pushing around the ground uh, is, is bad for everybody. I mean, if we all of a sudden made alcohol illegal tomorrow, guess what would happen? Black market would then fill the vacuum. They would control the, the mm. kind of. Well, we saw of, that with prohibition in the states, of course. Yeah. So yeah. prohibition doesn't work. It just doesn't work, and we have to have a different conversation in relation to, first of all, decriminalisation, which 
we're talking about today in the bill that I put forward. So that's decriminalising the prayer. So still, that cannabis is still illegal. And then we have to kind of talk about, you know, a different discussion to say, look, if people want to use cannabis, uh, and that's their business, but what's everybody's business is how they source that. And generally, most people source it via the black market. Right. And that has an impact on everybody's lives. You but, know, everybody's but, lives. but your bill will just decriminalise the possession then, but I mean, exactly. the, these people will essentially be buying this illegally. Unfortunately, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I okay. mean, obviously, I mean, if we, if the bill progresses, it's a very moderate bill. If, if it progresses to the next stage, we plan to include, say, home cultivation. So, which is somebody mm. could grow up four or six plants themselves. That's fair enough. I think that kind of... Yes, but most you, you make a very interesting them. point yourself that in an awful lot of ways we're very progressive and I suppose you're talking there about women's rights and same-sex marriage and the like. And yeah. whereas with this, we're, we're very conservative. Is that is that the point you're making? Yeah, well, I think that people have moved on, Fran. You know, yeah. be, I think you'll be surprised, you know, even, you know, you'd be surprised to who would be supportive of this issue around decriminalisation. I think we've had... Across party, so, you mean, uh, Gino, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, to a certain degree. We've had so huge social advancements over the last 15 years in relation to a lot of things in Ireland. And Ireland has moved on, you know, and I think people, when they look, this, look at this objectively, and they say, look, criminalising people doesn't work. I think the majority of people actually agree with that, right? And then we have to look at kind of a more kind of harm reduction, uh, holistic way of actually looking at how white people take drugs in the first place. This is the most important thing. People take drugs for all sorts mm. of all sorts of reasons. They take them to enjoy them. Some people then will abuse them. It's like people having to drink. The vast majority of people will not have a problem with alcohol dependency. We have to have a issue, huge issue in this country around alcohol, which kills like 17, 1,800 people a year. That's a huge issue. But we need to have a more grown-up conversation right. there, you know, where people are stigmatised, marginalised. Once you do that, you're you're losing. So in order to gain control back, we need to take control back from you know the quite unscrupulous people in our society, which kind right. of ask themselves. I must gang. I must leave it there, Gino. But thanks so much thank for your time this morning. Thank you and thank good, you morning, good morning to you. That is people before profit uh, TD Gino mm-hmm. Kenny speaking to us there. Mark Jennings is the owner of the Relief uh, Coffee Shop in Clonmel and joins me now. Mark, good morning to you. Hi, Frank. How are you? Thanks and from our previous conversations, Mark, uh, I guess that you're you're positive about this bill from People Before Profit. Um, yes and no. Mm. I'm delighted that they've brought in a bill and opened up the conversation, but I wouldn't be too confident in our policymakers, considering what we're going through in the CBD industry. We can't get policy. We can't get clarification on laws as such. How can we just jump straight from saying zero tolerance mm. up to a seven gram? Well, I don't think that we are. I mean, even Gino himself is uh, describing this as a moderate bill and just the start of some kind of national conversation. Yeah, I, I, I really do think that's what it is. It, it's just to get the ball moving, really. Yeah. But I would have thought we started this conversation years ago, Mark. We did. I think we marked the 20th anniversary of uh, Ming there last year, yeah. of him trying to open up the conversation. But we kind of haven't moved forward since. What do you put that down to? Because, again, like we said a moment ago there, we're progressive in an awful lot of other areas of life. But what, why why have we an issue with this? We, we seem to have a lot of lobbying. Doctors kind of lobbying and different 
they're saying it's bad for young kids and using that as their kind of argument. That's probably the real reason why we need regulation. Mm. The, the stuff on the street is too dangerous. We don't know what's inside us. And bringing in the regulation would allow us to state what is in the, the, the products and allow us to who, who buys the products from us. Right. Much similar to the tobacco industry or the, the drink industry. Right, but you can understand, I suppose, why people, particularly parents, I suppose, would be afraid of this when we don't know and we hear some horror stories about uh, some kids out there who have used stuff that has been uh, infiltrated by all sorts of other strange products. Exactly. That's our whole thing. It's not regulated. It can be easily gotten on the streets regardless of this bill or anything. At least make it safer. Do you, do you think realistically, when will we see a situation where you can legally buy cannabis here? Oh. Are we talking a decade? Are we talking years down the line here? I would hope not. And I would think with uh, with Germany's progress at the minute, I would think the next five years. Right. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens because already we're just trying to decriminalise the, the situation. So there's, there's quite a ways to go. But do you think that uh, we might be there in about five years' time? I would hope so. All right. There's Mark, a lot of patients that need it. All right. Mark, we wish you well, and thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. It's Mark Jennings there, the owner of Relief Coffee Shop in Clanmel. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. The countdown to Christmas is well and truly on this week. And with the toy show taking place last Friday, the rush is on for presents. Well, it's a welcome relief, I suppose, for many of the toy stores around the county and around the country. Our reporter, Alison Highland, went uh, to Nina to meet Michael Cleary of JKC Toymaster to see how things were gearing up for Christmas. There's definitely a, a pause or a, people are uh, considering a lot before they buy. Definitely a change as people for the last, particularly since COVID actually, there was a lot of disposable money and people literally just buying willy-nilly, buying, I suppose, excessively in some cases. Um, but yeah, we're, we're not. So look, Christmas still happens, Santa Claus still comes and it's very important. It's, it's, it's important he does. But there is definitely, um, we're seeing it, uh, maybe where somebody bought four or five items, they're now buying three items, stuff like that. So, yeah, look, there is a slowdown, but still at the same time, there is a bit of excitement building. We're five weeks out from Christmas, and you're seeing decorations going up in shop windows. You're starting to see Christmas lights go up in the various towns. They're not switched on yet. So, look, the Christmas feeling will come, and I think it's important Christmas happens, and I've, I've no doubt it will eventually. So what are you seeing then this year in terms of trends for what people are buying for toys? Um, I suppose we wouldn't be 
we're, we're, I suppose every shop is unique to some extent and, and here in JKC's in Nina, we set our stall a few years ago. You have the big outlets all over the country and online stores and stuff like that and if we tried to take those on, we'd be out of business at this stage. So we've carved out a few niche, niches, namely Berg trampolines and go-karts, nam- namely farm toys, particularly huge range of jigsaw, Lego and games. So essentially that's our shop. And... Um, so when people say, what's the hot thing this year? We really don't go after the hot thing because the hot thing can get cold very quickly and yeah. cost you a lot of money. So for a good number of years, we haven't been that that cost or that uh, shop. Uh, but we're seeing loads of go-karts. We're seeing actually trampolines being bought in November, December. Uh, farm, lots of people in the know will know about Britain's Brooder, Seacoo, Millwood, Kids Globe, yeah. all that Are stuff. Are they still as big as they were? They're huge. They're huge. Uh, I presume down, uh, I, I, down the country, kids still love the tractors, farm yeah. ties. You'll see particularly even during the silage season, the kids all want the silage trailers, they want the moors and all that kind of stuff. So we're still, no slowdown in that, no slowdown in that. And actually, I'll just put it out there as we're talking, uh, Bruder, the German Tide, the only product this year, huge issue in terms of availability. Really? And if you're, oh yeah, huge. Um, just basically a bit of the inside trade. Mr. Bruder in Germany said, we're not going for a spike in, they have a huge demand. They're not increasing hours, they're not increasing production. Uh, so a huge spike in demand that they're not going to meet. And we know that Bannahan's here need to bring Rowley into Ireland. And basically they're not, they're going to get less than half or have got less than half of what they've ordered, if, if even a third. So basically even from the small independent tie shop right to the outlets, nobody's going to have Bruder come December. So if your wow. child is in the market for a Bruder product, get it, get it right now as quick as you can because it's simply not available this year. And the beauty of those kind of products as well, I know that the small little tractors, they last forever. You know, it's, it's guess that the first time mummy, that's the first child for Christmas or something like that, and they say, oh God, that's plastic, it won't last. And I'll say, Mary, that'll last. Yeah. That'll last in the car you've come in here in. It's extraordinary plastic, but they last, they last, yeah. they last. They might throw them aside for a while, they might leave them in the sand pit out the back or whatever. Next thing to get going at them again, and they love them. Mm. They love them. Are you seeing then, we were talking about people pairing back, um, are kids kind of returning to more classic games, like you said, like I see a lot of jigsaws and board games as well in houses now, way more than I would have maybe five, six years ago. I'd like to think so. There's definitely, uh, we have uh, kids now that are becoming young teenagers at that age and devices, of course, for everybody are, are, are a big concern. But um, look, there's something magical about board games and it's back to the old reliables. Okay, if you're very basics of, we see a huge sale in ring boards, believe it or not. Jigs, uh, chess, drafts. Believe it or not, drafts is your biggest selling game year in, year still. out. Still. And then you go to your Connect Fours, your operations, your monopolies. Uh, you may have heard of the Genius Square has come out in the last couple of years. Yeah. Hugely gay, hugely, hugely unpopular popular game but I just think it's great for a family to sit down play board games they'll talk they'll fight they'll they'll engage with each other which nothing's I think it's sad to walk into a room and see four people there and everybody on their own device not communicating. Yeah. There's, there's a bit of sadness about that. Look, it's the world we live in, it's inevitable. But board games are great and jigsaws are great. I think it's kind of a staple at Christmas. Nearly every family will get a three, five hundred, a thousand piece jigsaw and it's lovely, just we'll make it over the Christmas type of thing. Yeah. And it was a huge, actually, it, was, it never hit the kind of the media, but during COVID, jigsaws was the first thing to kind of um, basically... We couldn't get enough jigsaws during the original lockdown in 2020. We were doing, in, literally in the month of April, I think we did a year's business in jigsaws. Wow. It was extraordinary and it never hit the media. It was trampolines and jigsaws for us. We were selling literally dozens and dozens of jigsaws and it was adults. So street 500,000 piece jigsaws right yeah. during COVID. And thankfully that has continued because seemingly he's got a while off yet, but jigsaws are great for, you know, off, uh, 
postponing the offset of a lot of these mental yeah. issues and stuff like that. But jigsaw, it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a very um, nice thing to make a jigsaw. It's re, it's relax, relaxing and it's what's the word therapeutic to make yeah. a jigsaw. Except when you're trying to force a piece in, <laughs> that can be very frustrating. It's a problem then, Alison. You have, to, you have the wrong piece. You have the no, wrong so, piece. it was just made wrong, Michael. <laughs> but tell me, you you spoke about. Um, you know how you're you have a niche kind of cut out here it's it difficult for for smaller niche independent stores like yours to compete with the big franchises of toy shops it absolutely is yeah it, it is and it isn't um i think if you try you, you you've said it you don't try compete we, we like to think we give a totally different offering um you've just walked past five bays of lego there and uh, there might be 25 in a big outlet and believe it or not, there's probably more individual lines there that the outlets typically go, they'll pick five lines and they'll get hundreds of each line. Uh, so typically the small independent shop will actually have a bigger selection, believe it or not. Um, so you tiptoe around what the multiples do, but the cold hard reality, we all sit at home and next thing the phone comes out, click, 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 buy, and it's Amazon or it's... Like at this stage, you've got to say shop local, shop on the local website, because nearly every shop has their own website at this stage. And we all need to have it. It's, look, it's reality. There's no point if, if I didn't have a website, I'd probably be out of business at this stage. Um, so, you know, I'd say to people, shop local, but your own business has a local website. And it's important because when it comes to putting jerseys on the local team or the local fundraiser and stuff like that, the first port of call is always a local business. And it's important we support, but it's a two-way street because yeah. we can't support unless in turn we get the support. And the lifeblood of the, blood of the community are, are the local teams, the local fundraisers, the charities, the all the organisations. So it's a two-way street and to keep a community live, alive, vibrant and thriving, uh, the local business needs to thrive as well. And it's lovely and I'm sure it's the same in all towns, particularly around Tipperary. Particularly on Saturdays you go down the street and all the coffee shops and the families are out walking around and stuff like that and it's lovely and it's, it's very, very important Alison, but if the shops don't get the support that's a finite lifestyle as well you know yeah and the local support is one thing but what about national support it's been a tough year for businesses and you, you've increased in cost the cost of living crisis how has that impacted here look it's it's glo- it's not just national it's international uh, it's inevitable uh, sorry we were told once the invasion of ukraine happened that cut prices were going to go up and there was a lag that they're going up and thankfully last night we see for the first time in six months now the wholesale prices have gone down so hopefully there's a lag that they'll go back down uh, I think it has put a bit of fear into people and it has affected us all uh, we have big overhead costs of rates wages loans so on and so forth so every every business has those and it's a fundamental part of business and look if I wasn't I was born and reared to it and like business people get into business to make a living and a certain lifestyle so I'm not going to throw the baby out of the bathwater. I'm here for the long haul. Uh, it's part of business, and my attitude is, look, it's inevitable. Just get, put a smile on your face, run your business as good as you can, and, and to me, all the, there's, there's trends over a cycle. But please, God, 20 years' time, when I maybe hang up all this, and you look back and you say, God, it was like to see there was ups and downs the whole way along, but we'll all get out fine. Is this the hardest it's been? No, no, no. no. Um, I took over here in '87. March 87 so this is Christmas number 37 Alison even well, though thanks for the God just told me I was young and all that crack as well but uh, a lot of Christmas is done um, I remember the first few years were the toughest by a mile um, the late 80s early 90s were tough and at some point it kicked off but look I always said that the best two years we had were the two Covid years believe it or not so look again um I have nothing to complain about business has been tough at times and um, it's been 
it's been tough, it's been challenging, but it's been lots of good days. I wouldn't swap it for the world if I was yeah. back at 1987 again. I'd still take on JKCs and have a go at it. It's been fantastic and really had a, some fantastic times here. Um, through the good and the bad times. Yeah. Happy Christmas to you and thanks for your support to Tip Today. You're a great friend of the show all year and thank you so much. You're very welcome, Alison. Thanks for calling in and, and likewise, you're a great supporter of JKCs and all the local businesses all around Tipperary. So keep up the good work. Wish all yourself and all the team a happy Christmas and um, please God, here's to a good Christmas and a healthy, safe, happy 23. Many thanks uh, to Michael Cleary there of uh, JKC Toymaster in Nina. Marvellous shop, marvellous shop in all sorts of ways. Always a great welcome whenever we go in there. Um, 1800-938-007. Now, some inquiries about the other councillors who voted against the 5% hike in the commercial rates. And just for clarity, three Fine Gael councillors, uh, Michael Murphy, who we spoke to, John Fitzgerald, we spoke to last week, and Mary Hannah Harrigan as well from Kappa, uh, broke ranks to join with Workers and Unemployed Action Group councillor Pat English in voting against uh, the budget there. So that's just for clarity. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Sheila. Welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. And we spoke about the Tipperary Council approving the 5% hike in the commercial rates earlier on in uh, the programme. We spoke to uh, Councillor uh, Michael Murphy and Councillor uh, David Dunn as well. Uh, it's interesting to read today, though, that uh, Cork County Council will decide later on uh, this morning, whether to press ahead with a 3.5% increase in ratepayers' bills as it tried to avoid cuts to services there as well. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, we've gone ahead with a 5% and they're discussing a 3.5% increase in Cork and it could be lower than that. So to keep that in mind, following that discussion, Ryan O'Mara was on and he says, Oh God, help us, Fran. This hit for tat among Irish politicians is so predictable and repetitive they just can't help it but get stuck into their trenches and take cheap, meaningless shots. It does nothing to help ordinary people and it's a full... It's just full of ego. I strongly believe that the Irish people, especially younger people, are sick and tired of it. That old type of politics needs to go and this immature bickering has no place in politics anymore. I'd rather hear substance substance even from politicians than cheap, unentertaining, meaningless attempts at sound bites. And Marie was on to say, Fran, that man, uh, that's uh, making reference, I think, to Gino Kenny, um, obviously doesn't know about all the antisocial behaviour associated with some drug users. Uh, somebody else saying, what are you on about women's rights for, Fran? Once again, women and children were disregarded in what happened in CUH, where children's organs were concerned. It's one thing after another when it comes to women and children. And finally, for now, Pat is in Ross Gray. And he says, Fran, what sort of mentality do some of our politicians have? Again, this is referencing my chat with uh, Gino Kenny. Uh, Pat goes on to say the idea to decriminalise cannabis is ludicrous because people, and this is the point we 
made will still have to access drugs in um, a criminal fashion. No wonder the country is in such disarray with thinking like that. 0833113311. Now, plans to build a hotel on land near the historic Rock of Cashel have been criticised by archaeologists amid fears that they will destroy important features of the wider ancient site. Now, the development is proposed for the Moor Lane, uh, which links to a number of fields leading towards the famous fortification overlooking the town. Joining me now is archaeologist and director of Abarta Heritage, Neil Jackman. Neil, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you so much for coming on with us today, Neil. What are your concerns about this proposed development? Well, I mean, let me begin by saying, you know, the Rock of Cashel, it's one of those sites, when you think about Ireland, it, it's one of the iconic images, if you like. And that word iconic gets used a lot in relation to mm. the Rock. But Cashel itself, has it really benefited in terms of tourism? Uh, certainly we get lots of visitor numbers coming in. But do they stay? And that question about accommodation is an important one. So this isn't a question about trying to block all manner of kind of tourism development. This isn't a question about trying to stop um, increased investment in accommodation locally in Cashel, because the town needs that. It's a question of location. Um, where it's planned at the moment, it is within the precinct of the, the, the actual site itself. It's not nearby it's actually within it because when you look at the rock of cashel you see that great um collection of medieval buildings on the summit but it actually spreads much further than that and the work of dr patrick gleason and others has conclusively proven that as well so this hotel development will directly impact that it will destroy features no doubt and also there's other questions that we have about the rock of cashel that we haven't fully answered yet for example were that it's planned for is part of the battlefield from 1647 from Lord Inchiquin's famous sack of Cashel. You know, so there's a lot of kind of ephemeral things that might not stand up in the same way as those beautiful medieval buildings of the summit, but they're no less important and they need to be protected as well. And the area that we're talking about, Neil, has there been any um, activity on that in terms of examining what's in the land there and possibly what's there? Yeah, sure. Uh, again, Dr. Patrick Gleeson has been carried out a, a number of surveys on the Rock of Cashel and Ireland's other so-called royal sites as well, you know, and it's shown that there's uh, subsurface features remain, things like ditches, for mm-hmm. example, and a number of other kind of small ephemeral structural features like that. Now, they're slightly masked because of later landscaping. People have bulked up the soil, if you like, for planted and things like that. But they're still there below the surface. And his work has proven that as well. And also some really tantalising hints as well. Like one of the ditches he found, there was 12th century material in that, which is a time that the Normans were in Ireland. We've long wondered about what the Normans' relationship yes. was with the Rocky Cashel. So it's kind of a, a story that's at this moment still being uncovered. And if we were to go ahead and do something like a development there, that would forever lose the opportunity to understand the place properly. Could I play devil's advocate on it, and maybe you'll be able to tell me from an archaeologist's point of view, could both lots of of thought be be satisfied in some way here, in that if, if it was to generate a proper archaeological examination before um, the the project was built. Could could that happen, do you think? Well, it could. I 
mean, that is part of the planning consideration, if you like. But when you're, and I used to work in commercial archaeology as well, so when they were planning to build a road scheme, for example, I would be involved in excavating sites and surveying sites in advance of that, right? So that's, Ireland has some of the best laws when it comes to things like that. So could it happen? Yes, and it would, technically. But when you're excavating as part of a commercial enterprise like this, where there's a time delay, where there's building costs and things like that, you're not doing it to the same uh, meticulous detailed research kind of path, you know. And the most important thing is uh, that I really want people to understand is that excavation is by its nature destructive. You take everything apart. It's called recording uh, preservation by record. You take everything apart, you make notes on it, you write everything up, you might take soil samples and that, but it's gone forever then. You know, there's no putting it back. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And the second aspect of it is, what are we left with then? So we have this hotel on the slopes of the Rock of Cashel, one of the most iconic vistas, if you like, in all of Ireland. And that doesn't only affect, you know, its kind of material integrity of the archaeology and all of these kind of academic things. That affects the people in Cashel. But their view of this beautiful site will be changed forever. And perhaps most importantly as well, it would go very much against the plans to uh, credit uh, the Rock of Cashel with World Heritage status. Currently, it's on a tentative list along as part of a group application with the other royal sites of Ireland. An unsustainable development like this, what it would be categorised as, would pretty much preclude the Rock of Cashel becoming a World Heritage site. That would lose the status, the international recognition, that kind of refocus and that pride of place that the people of Cashel could have would, uh, by having a world a heritage site on the Would you just stay with me for a moment, Neil, if you sure. would, because I'm joined by former county councillor uh, Tom Wood. Tom, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, and thanks for coming on with us today, Tom. And, you know, in the past, you and I would have discussed the application uh, to UNESCO and the importance of that and you were in touch uh, with the Minister about this in fact and you got a reply from him where this is concerned so I'd be very interested to know your thoughts on this development Tom Yeah well I suppose Fran first of all remember uh, the, the rock is on the tentative list since 1992 mm. Mm. and that's a long long time and I was of course very disappointed over the over the decades now that, that it wasn't recognised uh, as a world heritage site um, also of course as I sit down here every day uh, in the house and look across at the Cashel Palace mm. I was only thinking actually this morning uh, j- just imagine if the Cashel Palace itself hadn't been constructed where it is in 1730 and just imagine that there was a planning application in at the moment for to build a hotel. And, of course, it wouldn't be in that style of the Cashel Palace that we know today to be a more um, of a, a modern style. Yes. Uh, you can well imagine there would be objections which are, people are entitled to. There would be people in support of it, etc., etc. So, like, at the end of the day, it rests with the planners themselves to decide uh, on what grounds it should be refused. That's this particular application, which is for an extension to the existing hotel, not a new hotel. It's for the addition of extra bedrooms. But, you know, they, they can decide under the guidelines that are there to, to refuse the planning application uh, and that is to the benefit of it's there for the benefit of the the developer the planning act is and also for the actual uh, resident and citizen themselves and remember Fran as well that the planning process that we know today it only came in uh, to act in this country in 1964 
1964. Uh, so we're talking about planning conditions only since that particular period of time. So, you know, as far as I can see, uh, the original one that was put in last year was withdrawn, as we mm. know, because mm. uh, some some very valid objections were raised by people uh, in relation to that particular development. I expect that the people who are who are planning this at the present time, and I think today is the final day for, for submissions, yep. as far as I know, mm-hmm. that, that they have gone through all of that. And as I said, it would be up to the, the system that we have then, the planning system, to decide. Now, we know the developments that we've had here in, in recent decades, and, you know, think of Dominic's Abbey and Dominic Street mm-hmm. and, and the structure that was erected around that. But the bottom line for me, Fran, would be in any of these developments... I base it on the quality and the quantity. And if you take Dominic's Abbey into the equation, just think of the the quantity there and the quality is poor, very, very poor. Mm-hmm. Something could have been developed there, I'm quite sure, that would have been far more in keeping with the, with the surrounds and the 13th century structure that was there. It can, and similar things can happen in relation to the palace, and whether it will or will it won't, uh, you know, that will be up to the planners themselves. Right. And, and Neil's assertion there that you know it could be damaging to um, to an application, Tom. Do you take that on board? It could be damaging to a UNESCO application. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't. For the, I'll, I'll tell you why I've changed quite a lot over the, over recent decades. As you know, Maribel, my wife, is from Spain. Sure. And many, many cities and towns in Spain have World Heritage sites. And Maribel comes from the city of Cordoba. Mm. And regularly when we're there, we go to visit the fabulous buildings there in the city of Cordoba. And new structures are being developed. And remember, in those countries, these buildings weren't isolated. Mm. They're built in the streets, the houses surround them. There are new houses being developed. But wherever they have found anything of significance underground, even in hotels there around that particular area of the World Heritage site, They've put in they've put in uh, glass floors in them so people can literally see what's underground. So there are ways and means of, of achieving all of these things rather than maybe just leaving a, a prominent site, just leaving it idle right. there. And Neil, could I bring forever. you in on that? What about that, Neil? That there's ways around this in some way? Well, there is. I mean, every case is different. Mm. Do you know that's the main thing? There's no kind of blanket. Thing. And as I said right at the beginning, I believe the Cashel does need investment and they've done a good job at the Cashel Palace. And I I just feel that the location of this is problematic. But in terms of that, yeah, a, a good friend of mine, Paul Duffy, excavated a, a site where a little was built in Dublin. And the, they do have a glass floor where they, you can see some indeed, of the things, yes. mm-hmm. which is excellent. I would say, though in bedroom accommodation for a five-star hotel, how accessible is that going to be for the general public if they went down that route? And the other part of it as well is these are large earthwork features. They're not small, discrete stone buildings and things like that that you might find in a in a medieval Spanish town and things, which is wonderful. So every case is a bit different. In this particular case, it's all about the location. And for me, you know, part of what we do, it's not just the archaeology. We very much focus on uh, community involvement with the past, with archaeology, how people can get involved with it, mm-hmm. but also sustainable tourism. And for me, 
if you make somewhere a better place to live, you make it a better place to visit. And I would much rather see the investment going into the town of Cashel itself rather than another greenfield site. There are buildings in Cashel that could be converted to the same high standard that they've done over the Cashel Palace and things like that. You know, surely they could take a look at that instead. Well, and that would what about that, Tom? What, 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 yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? There's a lot of buildings that could be used oh, yeah, to great I mean, effect. And, there. and I mean, even in the vicinity of the Rock, mm. you know, within that particular area, we've had... We've had dereliction for as long as for I sure. can remember, yeah. and nobody has got has been interested in improving mm. the situation in relation to that. What I would say, though, is I'm quite sure if the planners decided to grant planning permission for this extension to the Cashel Palace, that an archaeological dig would have to be in place, would have to be put in in advance. So, I mean, if 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 as as I think, if that situation would arise. I'm quite sure there would be a significant number of conditions. When the Cashel Palace itself, Fran, was being developed in, in the last number of years, and we know there have been a number of new extensions to mm-hmm. the existing uh, 18th century building, archaeological digs were carried out in advance. They had to be. So that would happen in relation to this. So for mm-hmm. me, again, as I said, the bottom line is if the planners and after doing all these surveys, feel that there is potential to do this development, well, then once the quality and the quantity of it is in keeping with the area, I wouldn't see a problem with it myself. Neil, what happens? I mean, <clears throat> I, I presume an arche- archaeological dig will be part of, of the agreement if this goes mm-hmm. ahead. But what w- then would stop the development? I mean, if, if something considerable was found, would that stop a development? How does that actually work? Yeah, it would take an awful lot to stop a development. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, I can think of a handful of occasions. Uh, for example, in Waterford, when they were building a Waterford City bypass, they came across a Viking Longfort, which is an enormous site. And that re- that didn't stop the development, but it made the road move because it would have been mm. extremely expensive and extremely damaging in terms of our understanding of the past to, to simply remove everything. And that's what excavation is. It is a destructive act. Mm. There's no getting around that. And I say that as an archaeologist. You have to take it apart to understand it, essentially. <clears throat> you know, that's what we do. Um, so if that happened, it, it, it's two things. One, could you mitigate the archaeology by excavation? Yes, you can. But you forever change that la- immediate landscape around the Rock of Cashel, even within the environs of the royal site itself. You know, there's no turning the clock back then. It's gone. And that new building is sitting there. You know, so that's where the problem is, really. It's the legacy. It's looking ahead. And if we look back on it in 20 years' time, 30 years' time, much like the Dominic Street development there, Dominic Abbey development, Mm. would we look back and regret that that decision was made? That's the question. Tom, have a last word on on this for me, Tom. That's that's an interesting point, isn't it? Yeah, there there are lots of interesting points. And concerns that people have and 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 there are lots of people too that would be in support of a development like this remember the the the, the previous application that was meant to go in early last year uh, for for a development on that particular area uh, it was in a different uh, line altogether in relation to the uh, the two proposed extensions that yes. are there at the present time mm. so you know, at the end of the day, as I said, it's it's a matter for, for planning. And and uh, as I said, the end of the day, again, uh, if we didn't have the Cashel Palace where we have it today, we'd probably have the same situation if someone was looking for planning permission. But that's, people are entitled to that in support of a, of a venture or in, in objection to it for various reasons. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised, Fran, Fran that I think it's the 19th of December a decision yes, is due. Yes, it is, yeah. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the planning 
section would ask for an extension to that because I'm quite sure uh, it's not it's not just a straightforward planning application as if you were just building a house or building an extension to a house. So I'm quite sure there'll be a lot more debate on this before a decision is even reached by the planners themselves. I'm sure there will indeed. Uh, Tom Wood and Neil Jackman, thank you both uh, for coming on with us uh, today. Tom, of course, is a former county councillor, lives in Cashel, just opposite the palace there. Neil Jackman is an archaeologist and director of Abarta Heritage, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp, 83 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Day, 067-24111 or Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Helen McGraw was on to us and she says that somebody left a purse with money in it at her stall in the Talbot Hotel Christmas Craft Fair yesterday. Now she has the purse and uh, we can put you in contact with her if you want to call Emma on 1800 938 007. So if you lost a purse uh, with some money in it yesterday at the Christmas Craft Fair. Uh, Helen might be able to help you out there. Now, last week, Muriel Cuddy, who is uh, CEO of Marito 8020, discussed weight loss injections and obesity medication that sparked a lot of reaction to the show. Now, one of our listeners, Ray, was in touch about his weight loss journey, and he joins me now. Ray, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Really good to talk to you today, Ray. How much weight did you lose, Ray? I lost five stone weight, Fran. Wow. And uh, it's over 10 years ago, and I've kept it off since. And that's what prompted me to send the text message in when I heard the uh, discussion. I only got the tail end of your discussion with that lady, but I yes. I was, I knew I just had to send in a text just to say that. I suppose that it can be done. And tell me, how, how, how did you do it, Ray? I used the, the mantra, eat uh, less and move more. But... It, it wasn't easy. It was uh, an incredible amount of hard work and dedication and willpower. But it does work. Yes, it has worked and it's uh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating or in the not eating the yes, pudding. It's not eating indeed. Yes. Can, can I be very ungentlemanly and ask you, Ray, what weight were you? I was 19 stone. 19 stone. And, I mean, was there medical issues coming from that at that point? or? Well, there was more than there was psychological issues coming as well. And being overweight, everybody knows it's not healthy. You're at much higher risk of heart disease or blood pressure, stroke, any of those things, diabetes as well. So I suppose it wasn't a medical... Well, I suppose it was as I was getting older, mm. but it wasn't really to the forefront of my mind at the time. It was more the confidence and the feeling lethargic and having little energy. So there was a lot of things going on, I suppose, and I had tried a few other methods and they didn't work. Or rather, maybe I didn't... I wasn't fully committed at the time, so I had joined a gym for a couple of years. I had tried the walking routine. And whatever it was, I just didn't stick with it, but I made up my mind. I had come to a head when I hit the 19th stone. I said, this, this has to stop. Can you so tell I, me about your... 
eating habits, I mean, as we call them here, downfalls, I mean, what what were the big downfalls for you? The big downfalls for me, looking back now, was, I suppose, going back to when I started workforce, I left school and I started working in the family business, driving a digger, but I had a car to take me to work and I was in a machine all day, which meant little or no exercise. Sure. And during school, I was involved in the hurling training with the local club. I wasn't any good at hurling, but I was involved in the training. And that kept me reasonably fit. But once I started driving and ditched the bike, if you like, mm-hmm. the weight gradually uh, piled up over the years. So the white bread, eating too much bread, just sticks out so much to me now that that was a major. Was it? That I was the big one on for you, was it? That. I yeah. used to bring my lunch from home and a lot of it was white loaf bread and lumps of bacon. Yeah, and butter, I suppose. Oh, lots of butter, lots yes. Lots of butter yeah. as well, yeah. And but that combined with the no exercise and a big dinner then in the evenings as well. And some some evenings I'd actually have two dinners because I used to do some work for people maybe in the evenings with my machine levelling garden, gardens or whatever. And they might actually give me a dinner and then I'd go home and there could be another dinner at home and I'd eat it. Just because it was there? Because it was there, yes. And I was, by the time I got home after doing the other job, I was hungry again. Of course, yeah. And so, did you take a drink as well? Well, at the weekends, I'd be like most people, I suppose, have a couple of drinks as well. But I didn't stop that. I still went out at the weekends mm. when I was in my weight loss mm. regime because I knew I had to do something. Once I was going to take on this commitment, it had to be something that I could sustain in my life. Yes. It had to be something that I could continue to do basically for the rest of my life. So cutting out all, we'll say, the nice things, I just knew I wasn't going to work. So the weekends, I suppose, I allowed myself some treats or uh, maybe full Irish breakfast, as I did most Saturday mornings or whatever, and mm. a couple of drinks in, uh, at the weekend, like anybody else at the time. Right. So what did you cut out then, and how did you manage that, Ray? Well, I had to uh, I had to improvise a little, I suppose, because, as I said, I was bringing my, my uh, morning tea break supplies and my lunch break with me so mm. flask tea and all the rest of it I just first of all cut out uh, half the bread so whatever amount of bread I was bringing I cut it in half brought a little tub of cereal and a bottle of milk I didn't think I'd be able to have cereal on the road if you like because I thought the milk would be warm yeah sure but I just kept it in a glass bottle and kept it cool mixing the cereal worked fine that cereal every single day from the first day that I put my mind to it cut down the bread, brought a banana with me for lunch as well as a small sandwich. And after a few weeks, I cut out another slice of the bread off the off the, uh, the menu, we'll say, the mm. daily menu. Mm. And by dinner then in the evening, I just started reducing one potato less, or little by little. But the big thing was then I got into a walking routine. And at 7 o'clock every evening, I was walking. I started off three miles every day, five or six days a week. And I increased it to six days and increased it to four miles. So after six months of doing that, I lost two stone and I started getting compliments from from all over the place. I was mm. really impressed. It boosted my confidence. I got more energy. And because of that, it drove me on to bring down the weight more and to walk even faster, to increase my time, to see, see how fast I could do the walking circuit and see could I knock some time off my previous uh, best time. So and, that's how it kind of developed. And in terms of what it has meant to your life then, uh, you know, obviously you're looking far better, but uh, mentally, does it... does it? 
Oh, I did. I had a, a big effect. I can't, I'm not going to say I was in a bad place mentally, but I wasn't, I suppose. My confidence had been a, a affected, I suppose. Mm. But it did, it boosted my confidence then as well. And I got out and I started to travel a bit. And uh, as a reward, I suppose, for my efforts, I used to just travel out to the Europe, book flights and go for the weekend and walk. Whatever city I'd go, so I'd walk the length and breadth of the city over the weekend and have my couple of drinks or whatever I was single at the time. But um, it was just a boost of energy and a boost of confidence. It's fantastic. And how long did it take you to lose the five stone? Four and a half years. Right. Yeah, I remember reaching that mark in four and a half years. But I was happy, you see, after I lost two stone in six months. Yes. I lost another half stone every six months until I reached the uh, four and a half. But I also remember getting a setback in the middle of it as well, and that when I stood on the scales, I'd actually put on some weight. Right. And I couldn't believe it. So I the uh, the willpower kicked in then again. So I gave myself a month to get that half a stone down that I'd put on, and I had it down in a week because I just put my mind to it, and I walked longer at night, and I reduced the food a little better. And then I stabilised it again. And I got involved in a running club, Templemore Athletic Club, I believe you're familiar with that. Uh, indeed, yeah. And Martin, yeah. But so I got involved in that and I was asked, would I help out in creating a running programme and be a leader to the people who would be joining up and that they hadn't run. And I hadn't run myself at this stage, so I got a programme, a 10-week programme to introduce me to running. And I said, I will not be able to do this, I can just walk. Well, it developed from that and I ended up running 10k runs. Isn't I did two of the Operation Transformation 5K runs in the Phoenix Park and I got such a buzz out of doing them, I have to say. It was really a... This is the summit now. In my own mind, I thought I didn't think I'd ever be able to do this because I hadn't run or done anything like that in over 25 years. So, Ray, is it a question of... And, and take this with the greatest of respect, but is it a question of if you can do it, others can do it? I have that written down on the page in front of me, uh, friend. Yeah. I have wrote down, I'm an ordinary person. If I can do it, anyone can do it. But I also respect that uh, some people maybe just don't have the willpower or whatever it is and that go on to, and I have nothing, absolutely nothing against uh, Slimming World and Unislim and all of those. And if they, they work for people, that's fantastic as well. But just to give the message that it can be done without using any of those methods, then yes. I can vouch for that. And I spoke to Professor Donald O'Shea on 2FM one day during this journey. I sent in a text a bit like what I did to yourself. Mm. And I spoke on air with Professor Donald O'Shea and he just outlined some of the health benefits. So I listened back to that in preparation for this chat with yourself this morning. Yes. I listened back to that record and I still have it. It's, uh, that's about... It must be about 10 years old, I suppose, mm. at this stage, but... Mm. More actually than ten years old, but anyway, he just he just listed out a couple of the benefits. He says the health benefits that you have achieved is a forty percent reduction in the risk of getting cancer or dying from cancer, a seventy percent reduction in the risk of getting diabetes, and your chances of getting a stroke are just way down from that success in the weight loss because of what your body has achieved. That's very sobering, isn't it? Yes, I think that's really what hit the. It hits the point, really, when you see the health benefits, psychologically and health-wise. And personally, to listen to you this morning, I'm sort of on a weight loss journey myself. It's the first time I've taken it seriously, Ray, to be honest with you. I've lost over a stone so far. And but it's the it's keeping it going, you know. It's it's that you have to remind yourself all the time, haven't you? Yes. Well, 
there's something else written down here as well, and it's called, I just wrote down, build it into your daily life. So if it Explain means that, that to me now. It means that it's part of your routine. Yes. So cutting back on the food is one thing. If you eat at home or you eat out or whatever, just say, I won't have a portion of chips with that. Thanks all the same. I'll just have the sandwich on its own. Just simple things like that because you don't need it. Another tip as well, I suppose I have a friend of mine who was very much into his sport at the time when I started this journey. He was giving me great uh, advice. He said, if you feel hungry, drink a glass of water and after a few minutes, the hunger will be gone. And I still do that to this day and that's 15 years ago. He gave and me does that, that work, Ray? It has worked for me and that's for sure and I often remember it. And drinking water is actually good on every front because course, it's good yeah. for your body in general anyway, metabolism, the whole aspect. But help, help me with one thing, Ray. I can deal, well, in the last five or six weeks, I can deal with cutting down on the food and cutting out a lot of the, the goodies that I would have loved. The exercise is the big one for me, Ray. How do you motivate yourself like that? Well, get out and walk is the simplest form of exercise, Fran, and it's free. You can go on your own schedule. If your schedule has you working until 7 o'clock at night, possibly need maybe something to eat and wait half an hour and then go for your walk and just build it up. Mm. And getting out in the fresh air is something that people should enjoy. And how do you get past that? You know when you sit down after a meal, right? <laughs> how do you get up off your ass and go out? What, I'm what? sure you've, 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 you've put it there in a nutshell there in plain language and that's the way... Get up off your ass. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the way we should deal with these uh, conundrums in life. But it's just a matter that you have maybe a reminder in your phone, a trigger. Yes. That you know or whether it's the six o'clock news is on, if six o'clock is your time or your window of opportunity to get out for a walk. As soon as you hear that jingle of the news or the seven o'clock show or whatever is on, that you're standing up and without even realising it, that you know that's your time to go for a walk. Yeah, that's very good advice indeed. the the The, the final question I want to ask you is maintaining the weight, Ray. Um, is that because you've changed lifestyle? I mean, the maintenance is there anyway. Is that it? But you still have to work at it, Fran, even after all these yes. years. And at that time now, I'd noticed that, oh, I've put on a few pounds there now. So I I concentrate then for the next few weeks and I just cut out the little snacks I might have at night there watching the telly. Mm. I might yeah. have a little whatever it is. And I do not mean cut out going into uh, going in to have a, a latte and a muffin now and again just for a treat. We certainly all need that in our life. But maybe just go in once a week instead of twice a week or whatever, but yes, it's a continuous, uh, it doesn't go away. You can't just say, I've done now, I can relax and do what I like. It doesn't work like that. It's a continuous thing. So, some of our listeners took issue with uh, the conversation, and I'll tell you what part of it they took issue with, was that, you know, obesity is now seen as being a condition in the way we'd look at maybe alcoholism or, or, or drug addiction or something like that as well. Some of our listeners took issue with that, saying, you know, it's, it's almost excusing situations. I'd love to know your opinion on that, Ray. There is we have to accept that for some people they are in a bit of a rush if we want to put that expression on it and that if the weight loss or the weight gain I should say gets to an extreme that it's actually hard for people to go out and walk because they're not maybe physically able or they get too exhausted from it so when it gets to that point it's probably an issue a medical issue then and when when uh, I suppose one of the fears I had, if I, if I go much further, I won't be able to walk. I remember thinking that. 
pile at this weight, pile on much more, I mightn't be able to go out and walk. And I knew walking was going to be the key to yes. the whole yes. to the whole project, if you like. So you know, I'd be slow to kind of, I wouldn't condemn anybody. Everybody's situation is different. There are people who need to have seek medical advice for sure. Yeah. And I remember from a conversation with from from with uh, Professor Donal O'Shea, he outlined that the body has defense systems built in that if it detects rapid weight loss, it puts up the barriers. Yes. And that the person trying to do it too quick could end up putting on more weight than what they had in the first place. And I did experience that myself. So I didn't take any of these uh, pills or whatever it is, or supplements. I never did that. Right. But you went in, you went in too, up, too hard, yeah. If, yeah, if I give up the, the will myself, next thing, your comfort eating or whatever it is, and you end up putting on more weight. So it is a continuous thing. But I do absolutely appreciate that people are get to a certain point and they don't have the ability or the will maybe to get out and do the exercise and that they do maybe need a bit of intervention. Right, well, ma- well, many so. people can if we get off our ass like myself. Ray, you give me lots of inspiration today anyway, and I'm sure to lots of our listeners too. Thanks very much and uh, continue good health to you, Ray. Thank you. Good to talk, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, Janelle. It's Ray Nesbeth speaking to us there about his five-stone weight loss. And our good friend Muriel Cuddy was on to say, will you tell Ray, she said, a massive well done. It's not easy, but the celebration is how well he feels now, and that's uh, for sure. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. I'm sure you remember Chloe Matthews' story. She suffered a stroke during the seventh week of her pregnancy with her baby boy and Chloe was on illness benefits until May of this year but it was cut off without notification and uh, Chloe uh, had to fight, despite her illness indeed, over recent months for the return of those benefits. And Chloe joins me this morning. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning, Sam. Really good to talk to you. You had some good news over the weekend. We did. Friday morning I received a letter from the social welfare um, saying that they have awarded me my disability allowance. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, it was such a relief. To be honest, I didn't really sink in until last night. It was kind of kind of too good to be true kind of thing. It's very surreal kind of that we it was over to a certain extent. And like that last night was the first night I can say I actually slept. I went to sleep with not with any without any kind of worries, without any stresses or even coming today to the shop and like I wasn't stressing about like, oh God, I better be careful what I'm buying, what I'm gotta watch what I'm buying and what I'm spending. Like it was So this a major is, this has meant all the difference to you. Five long months though, Chloe, of yeah. fighting a long five months, a really long, but like that, thank God, it's just before Christmas, we can relax a bit and enjoy the Christmas, and yeah, 
Yeah. Level. I can hear you have your hands full there, that's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Chloe, just mentally to you, I know that this was really giving you mental health issues as well. You know, the fact that you were still uh, suffering in some way from the stroke. Um, you had the, the new baby and you were still fighting with the powers that be. Yeah, no, like that. Where I'm still in um, going to therapy. I sleep in my therapy every second week and occupation therapy at the physio as well. Um, and I'm also back in to see my neurologist next week now to go over MRIs and stuff that I had a few weeks ago. So it's constant. Like, you know, I'll, this will never properly go away. I'll be in every year to be checked for MRIs and stuff. And like that, it'll be constant. At the moment, I've kind of come to terms that it's a new way of life that I have to stop say, oh, um, get back to where I was, get back to where I was, where I just have to embrace the way I am now and like that, do all my different therapies, do all the different strategies I've been taught to do and life will just get easier and get better. Absolutely, and that's so so important that at least you can concentrate on that and, you know, as yeah. you described to me, that you're not forced back into a situation where exactly. you'd be working but you would be too unwell to do so. Yeah, like I was, I just had no interest really in even focusing on my therapies because I was constantly stressed and every time I sat down to do some speech and language worksheets or anything like that I was just I couldn't concentrate I couldn't focus and then with my condition it's, it's uh, cognitive fatigue so the more my brain has to think and process the more tired I get then physically so with that added stress of constantly thinking about it, constantly worrying about it then as well as trying to do everything else it would just make me exhausted. I was so tired, which wasn't clear on everybody else around me, as well as the kids, you know. So now I can just focus on my family and getting, you know, getting better and getting stronger again. Well, Chloe, many congratulations to you and a happy Christmas to you and your family thank as well. You. well thank a big you. Thank you to you and your team and like that everybody was involved and the likes of Michael Larry, Michael Brown, Sean Ryan, everyone that was involved that helped me and to anyone out there that's going through the same thing, just stay fighting. Mm-hmm. Even though it's long and it feels like, oh, it's never going to end or you're just fed up, just stay fighting, stay in eyeing them. <clears throat> your news um, reporter, I think Sheila, she said to me, uh, she said to me in the beginning when I first emailed, she said that they never, they never forget someone that doesn't make any noise. Yeah. So the more noise you make, the more they'll remember you. Yeah, and so it's, that's it's, what you have to do. Just it's so stay, important. Yeah. But still, when when you're on well, Chloe, you shouldn't. It it shouldn't be the case. But, no, but you have to do it. Yes, this yeah. is our system. So like yeah. that, we just have to stay persevering, and like that, it will. You will get what you need in the end. So. All right. Well, happy Christmas to you and the family, Chloe. Thanks for coming on with you. us again. Thank, thank you. you very much. Bye bye to everyone there as well. Thank you. Bye bye, Janelle. That's Chloe Matthews with a good result. Uh, finally, and we wish her and her family the very best. Uh, news and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. And you're welcome back to uh, Tip Today. I was just thinking there uh, with uh, Sheila's uh, bulletin and uh, her story about Fianna Fáil and the Green Party ruling out arming 
rank-and-file Gardaí after the Tawnish to Leo Varadkar said he would back an armed force if the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris requested it. Well, we're wondering, what do you think about that? What do you think about the notion of an armed force? And I suppose that in light of uh, the recent attack on the Gardaí in uh, Dublin and uh, the rise in issues around the country, I suppose, where people often feel endangered and uh, armed gangs roaming and all of that kind of thing. I'm just wondering, what do you think about that? Do you think it's time to arm uh, the Gardaí, even though Eamon Ryan making the point, I suppose, that the founding principle of the force uh, was not by force of arms or numbers, but on their moral authority as servants of the people. So is it time to rethink it? We'd love your opinion on that, and it's something we'll get back to tomorrow. So 83 Tip FM's Match 3 Game. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie All right, let's play Match 3. Adrian Purcell is in Monadreen in Thurless. Adrian, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Adrian. Are you feeling like a winner today? Uh, hopefully. Hopefully indeed. Well, we wish you the very, very best of luck anyway. Have you been following this all along? Yeah, kind of. I have a few match twos. Okay, okay. Well, let's let's see what happens. You know the story. If you uh, pick uh, a box that is already gone, I'll give you another shot. If you do that twice in a row, I have to say goodbye to you, Adrian. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine, yeah. All right, so give me a number. 38. 38. Let's have a look in the box. Number 38 is a Whirlpool Max Space Saver Microwave and it is valued just under €200. So it's a nice prize. Uh, Give me a second number. 68. Number 68. Let's open up that. Number 68 is a Whirlpool Max Space Saver Microwave. So you've matched two so far. Open a third um, bo- a third box for me, Adrian. 8080. 8080. Let's have a look inside number 80. We have a winner. Fair play to you, Adrian. That also okay. is a Whirlpool Max Space Ever Microwave, just valued under 200 euro, and that's from Stakedums. Well done to you. Are that's you delighted? Yeah. yeah. Nice. No, yeah. Nice prize. Thank you very much. Indeed. And, congr- and by the way, congratulations to yourself and Muriel. I see posters up 10 years. Oh, 10 years. Entertaining entertaining people and keeping them happy. If I, I rob. Thank you so much. If I robbed the bank, I'd be out in less time, I, I think, Andrew. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for that. And congratulations okay. to you. Thank Thanks. you. Bye bye to you now. That's Adrian Purcell there, Mona Dreen in Thurless, winning the microwave. Well done indeed to him. And uh, we'll play uh, Math 3 throughout the day. And if they're not all gone, we'll do it again tomorrow morning. Is that okay? 1800 Now, earlier on, we spoke to businessman Mark Jennings and uh, to Deputy Gino Kelly, Kenny, even of uh, People Before Profit, uh, about calls for reform when it comes to prosecuting people for possession of cannabis. Here's a little of what they said to me. When will we see a situation where you can legally buy cannabis here? Are we talking a decade? Are we talking years down the line here? I would hope not. And I would think with with Germany's progress at the minute, I would think the next five years. Ireland has moved on, you know, and I think people, when they look look at this objectively and they say, look, criminals and people, doesn't work. I think the majority of people actually agree with that, right? And then we have to look at kind of a more kind of harm reduction 
holistic way of actually looking at how why people take drugs in the first place. This is the most important thing. People take drugs for all sorts mm. of reasons. All sorts of reasons. They take them to enjoy them. Some people then will abuse them. It's like people having a drink. The vast majority of people now have a problem with alcohol dependency. We do have a huge issue in this country around alcohol, which kills like 1,800 people a year. That's a huge issue. But we need to have a more grown-up conversation, you know, where people are stigmatised, marginalised. Once you do that, you're losing. So in order to gain control back, we need to take control back from, you know, the quite unscrupulous people in our society. Deputy Gino Kenny speaking to me earlier on and uh, businessman Mark Jennings there as well. 1800 We're posing the question to you on our social media and indeed where text and WhatsApp is concerned. Should we arm the Gardaí at this point? And uh, one of our listeners on to say it's becoming necessary to arm the Gardaí right now, Fran. They should be getting danger money for what they're doing. Also, we were talking about weight loss to Ray and I was saying I was trying my best to, at the moment. Brida was on from Ross Gray and she says, Fran, on the exercise thing, always remember, you will never come back from a walk and say to yourself, God, I wish I hadn't done that. You'll always feel better for it. It's a good motivator to get you off the couch. Well, I have great difficulty with it, Brida, but I'm certainly going to give it a shot. That's for sure. Now, um, Living and Thriving with a Stoma event is taking place at the Grand National South Court Hotel in Limerick on Saturday, December 3rd. Uh, did you know as many as 30 30,000 people in Ireland have a stoma. And uh, that event will give out information and you'll also have an opportunity to hear from people who live with stomas. To tell us more about this, I'm glad to be joined now by Eileen uh, Lim-June, who is a coloplast nurse. Eileen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed and good to talk to you today, Eileen. For people who might be certain, what exactly is a stoma, Eileen? A stoma is an opening from the body um, and surgically formed really stomas that we, we deal with um, to um, release our output so be it be it from our bowel or our, or our bladder. And under what circumstances would somebody have to get a stoma? Yeah there are quite a few reasons that people may um, require to have stoma surgery done. Um, cancer is, is, is a big one and we have some other um, diseases like a diverticular disease. We have inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Um, so there are, there are quite a few reasons that people may need to have a stoma formed. Is it reversible, Eileen, or is this for life? Some of them are reversible. Some of them are formed for a short duration so that a person can have you know, ongoing treatment and ongoing surgery and then it can be reversed. Some of them are for life, yep. People are afraid of stoma, I think, um, because of the difference it makes to their life. And I would imagine from a confidence point of view and also, you know, when they're going socialising and to work and all of that. What, what do you have to say about that, Eileen? Absolutely. You know, it is, it's a huge change to a person's self and body and, and way a person needs to, needs to go about. But, you know, techniques of stoma formation and products that we have and the knowledge that we have to, to help people get on with exactly that you know going to getting on with life going to work going to school going to college getting back to sports everything that they need to do so um it is it is we we can help in that yeah and does it come with age as well i mean is it right across the age brackets or yeah it can be right across the age brackets so from small kiddies up to the elderly yeah 
Yeah, yeah. As I say, just all walks of life. All right. I know Paddy, yeah. Paddy Pike is with us. Will you stay with me, Eileen, for a moment? Just sure. P- Paddy Pike is joining us now, and Paddy is a stoma patient from Clonmel. Paddy, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? And we appreciate you coming on to talk about this, Paddy. Um, will you tell me about your situation? How did you uh, develop a condition that required a stoma? So, uh, about 21 years ago, I was diagnosed with a condition called ulcerative colitis which is an inflammatory bowel disease. And what that would cause is inflammation in the bowel. It would cause bleeding from the ulcers that I would have. Um, And every time uh, you would have that, you would have cramping and pain. And um, so I had that for 21 years. But what happened this year was that uh, flared up, as they call it. It it got quite bad. And I developed what's called a necrotic toxic megacolon. So in essence, my large intestine swelled to the point where it cut off its own blood supply and died inside me. My God. My so God. my stoma saved my life. So I had the option, we say, well, I didn't have much of a choice, but the choices were uh, a stoma or die. So it, it, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. So that's a very stark choice uh, indeed. So obviously you went for the stoma. What, what difference so, has it made to your life, Paddy? Uh, it, it's, it's unusual in the sense that I had an old concept from my grandfather's time as to what a stoma might be. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that, in my experience, bears no resemblance to the truth of today's living with a stoma. Um, so I'm a firefighter with Tipperary Fire and Rescue Service, mm-hmm. which is a very active lifestyle. I, I, I perform a number of roles for them. I work full-time in their training centre, and I'm an on-call officer in, in the, in the Clamel Brigade. So it's quite a busy lifestyle. And when this happened back in May, I thought that's it. My career is over. I thought my life has to go on hold now while I have this. Um, In consultation with my stoma nurse, we had a look at some products. And I found one that really suits a very busy lifestyle. So the the technology that's there now for living with a stoma really does make it, um, it, in my, my circumstance, 99% 99% of the time, I'm not even aware of my stoma. Now, now it did take some time to get to that. It's quite, it's quite a, it's quite a mind-altering event when you first have one, and you have to get your mindset around it and get your your head into a place where you can accept it and and learn to live with it in in a, in a positive way. All right, but you're alive and well now because of this. Pat. Absolutely, and I would say I'm healthier now than I was mm-hmm. before the operation. Um, in fact, once I had recovered from the surgery, I went through a, about a two-week period where I would wake up in the morning and I would turn to my wife and say that there was something not right. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I didn't feel right. And it took me two weeks to figure out that that was that I didn't have pain. My God. I had no cramping. I had no lethargy. I, 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 I was getting up pain-free. And that, to me, was a world I didn't know or understand. And it took me two weeks to figure out what it was. Um, because you had 20 I, years of this, so you were used to this. I had 20 years of this. cramping, yeah. I had I 20 years of pain. And I'd wake up every morning with cramps and with pain, and it would take some time to get everything kind of settled for moving around before it would, um, before the pain would ease. Now, I had a mindset when I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis that I wouldn't let it stop me. Yes. It took me a month or two after getting the stoma to get that mindset back. It, because, uh, as Eileen was saying, this this does have a life-altering effect, yes. and and it, it can affect your body image. It can knock your confidence, and it, it you know it, there's a lot of things it can do to you. Um, but if you can get your mindset back around to saying 
Mm. I'm alive because of this. I'm pain-free because of this. Eileen, um, Paddy refers there to the old concept of what a stoma uh, is about, and again, many of us would have that. Would you explain how far along the road we are where this is concerned now? Yeah, we are We are a, a long way along the road, I suppose. Um, in the last 10 or 15 years, certainly, we've, we've, you know, surgeons have gotten better, techniques have gotten better, we're better at... at um, at managing stomas, and and the products are, are a lot better, and and, and they've products. Coloplast certainly have done an awful lot of R and D, and they listen to people like Paddy. You know, he needs to be able to go and do his his very active job, and and you know, listen to people and what the problems on the ground are, and then to to create products to to suit that that lifestyle. So they've come along leaps and bounds, and that old concept as well. They might you know. People did suffer years ago with the stoma. Stoma surgery back years ago was not good. Um, but it has improved greatly and, li- and, and life is at the forefront there that people need to get back and, 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 and be better at life. Like Paddy says, you know, he was ill for so long and then, you know, the stoma has enabled him to, to, to go forward and, and be better. Paddy, will you forgive me if I ask you certain things about it? Like the, the ask, hi- anything, ask anything at all. Right, the hygiene of it mm-hmm. might be of concern to people who might be recently diagnosed uh, as needing yes. this, for example. Could I ask you about that? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I, I'm probably, mm-hmm. I would be one of the worst people. I, I, I won't say I have OCD, but I'm, I'm a clean freak. So yes, in my yeah. job, we, we, we deal with clean dirt, so we'd have smoke and black. And I would shower twice a day, always before this. One of my concerns in the hospital uh, was, I can't live with this. This is revolting. And I'll be honest about it. That's what my initial concept was. However, the reality of it now is, um, and Eileen mentioned there, the products. I have uh, one of Coloplast products. It's a sensory myo two-piece click system. So I could do a bag change now without touching anything in Mm. 10 or 15 seconds. Wow. Uh, and that's what their product has enabled me to do. And how so, often would you do that? So I will change. So I'll shower every morning uh, without the bag on. I have a base plate that attaches to my skin and then a bag that clips into that. Right. So I'll take off the bag every morning, empty the bag in the, in the toilet, take off the bag in the shower, shower every morning. Everything is squeaky clean. I'll put a fresh bag on in the morning and I'll do the same in the evening. Um, but during the day, if I want to empty the bag, even emptying the bag, you still don't need to touch anything. Their system, it, it's, a, it's a very hygienic system. There's no fabrics anywhere where there could be output coming out of. It's all uh, very, plastic. Very good. And, and again, forgive me, Paddy, but a leakage would, would it be of concern to people as well? Is that... It, yeah, and it can be. And uh, for me, in my experience, so I had my stoma sighted on the 5th of May. I have never had a leak. I have never had any, any incident as such to speak of. And I know there are people out there that have and, and body size, body shape, certain, uh, we say, undulations in, in, the, in the skin around the yes. stomach can create difficulties. However, there are products there. So there are rings, there are pastes that you can use to fill those in to prevent leaks. And like it's, it's, it's all about open communication. You talk to your stoma nurse. Wherever you are in the country, you have a stoma nurse available. To talk to your stoma nurse. Explain exactly what's going on. Don't be one bit embarrassed about it. We've all, anyone that's living with a stoma, we've all experienced similar kinds of things. Uh, Eileen, to hear, to hear Paddy is. speak there is so important. And that's very much part yeah. of your day in Limerick, isn't it? That you will hear from people like Paddy. Yeah. 
absolutely. And it's um, it's that connection with people and to know that they have someone to reach out to, to talk to, to 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 figure out those small things. They might be small things, but they might be big things that are stopping them doing something in their day. Yes. And we need to be able to help people to do that. Is the and concern is about worrying. hygiene, is that the big thing for a lot of people? It is, it is, yeah. Hygiene and leakage, Paddy said it there. I mean, just if you can imagine, um, you know, this is this is um, our excretory systems and we, 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 we don't want to be leaking that stuff out uh, we needed to go straight into the product and to fit our bodies really, really well. So leakage is a big thing that people worry about. Yeah. If people want to go along to the day in Limerick at the South Court there, how can they do that? What do they need to do, Eileen? If you could, um, you could either ring our Dublin number at 019-190-190 or you can email dublinoffice at colourplast.ie. All right, so we'll have all of those. Just to register, that would be great. We'll have and those contacts here with Emma as well. Um, Eileen, okay. thank you so much. And Paddy, lovely to talk. Thank you for being so open with me, Paddy. Thank Not you. at we all, thank Really you. appreciate it. Thank you both and uh, good thank morning you. to you. That's Eileen Lim June, who is a coloplast nurse, and Paddy Pike there uh, from Clonmel, living and living very well indeed with a stoma. Uh, listen, says, so great to hear the talk on stoma, Fran. I have one for the last seven years. I found it terribly invasive on my persona and uh, sometimes still do. Having had cancer twice, though, my stoma keeps me alive. Another listener says, well, Fran, I have a stoma. It can't be reversed. Sometimes it can be hard to deal with, especially when you have to go out. Reminds you of a baby stage. Uh, I'm very aware of it now. Emptying the bag can be degrading, uh, says one of our listeners. Um, 083-311-3311. We'll take a break. Back with uh, Tommy Fleming. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Saw a great idea on uh, one of the newspapers uh, today. I think it was the uh, examiner that uh, a nap is to be launched by Mwintanatira next month, which will alert emergency services and family or friends if the user is attacked or suddenly falls ill as well um, as their exact location. Now, the app, which is downloaded onto a person's phone, has an emergency button. And when pressed, it provides the user's location and immediately alerts friends or relatives that they're in difficulty. Now, it's the Cordia uh, app. And it was created for Winton Deteria, the National Association for Community Development, uh, by Declan Collins, who works in software. And um, he's been working with the Central Bank, in fact, for, for 30 years. But he created it after a break-in to his brother's house. But it sounds to me like a fantastic idea. And we will find out more about that uh, during the week and maybe talk about it as well because I think it's very important to have it as well. Also reading on one of the papers today that home sizes uh, need to be cut by 28% and the construction of detached houses discouraged if uh, the state is to have a chance of meeting its climate goals. The chief executive of the Irish Green Building Council has said. So if you're about to embark on building your mansion 
according to the uh, Irish Green Building Council, you might need to, to rethink that. One of our finest singers, Tommy Fleming, has a brand new album collection out and he's performing in concert around the country over the next uh, few months. He dropped into studio last week to say hello. Tommy, you're very welcome. It's great to see you again in Tipperary. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's um, I'm on the I'm on the PR lash or the PR tour, as I call it. Um, yeah, it's great to be back. It's great to be able to be in a studio. Yeah. Um, for what, so many years we couldn't come in to do interviews. It was all Zoom calls and... Skype and it sounded like you're on the moon. <laughs> and you know, by your own admission, you weren't the most technical of of people, but you had to embrace all of that over over COVID. Didn't I, you? I had to, um, which is really funny because I'm look, I was watching, I'm looking at you doing stuff there now, and I bear in mind, I before COVID, I could barely work through Sky Remote, <laughs> honestly, and then I kind of because I'd nothing else to do, I um. I started kind of, I learned, Connell, my MD, showed me how to use iMovie on the laptop. Yes. I only ever used to use the laptop for Netflix. And um, I, so I started doing GarageBand and, and whoever, listeners I know won't have a clue what I'm talking about. Yeah, software. So, like for, software. For, for audio and and yeah. um, so I started doing videos um, in the garage. This is after I was doing stuff in the Jeep and all of that. Yeah. And I started doing videos where I was able to, you know, sync the the. Um, audio with the vi- with the visual and so I learned how to test I basically went into editing in a big way and then I got all the TV specials that I did over the years and I separated them individually all the songs individually and posted all them up on YouTube and put them up on socials I was months putting all this together wow. and it was one of the best educations I've ever had was it? Yeah. it really was because I know anyone that sees our ads going out um we say social media ads for mm. different areas. So say if we're like we're in Racket Hall in March and now we'll, we'll be sp- specifically targeting that area with social media ads. And they're all video ads. And I'm, I've edited all those. I do, I do all of them. So we're not bringing anybody in and paying somebody to do it. I'm sitting there at the laptop in the office putting all that together. But you're enjoying it. I love it. I love figuring out now how... Now, normally I was allergic to it. I'd be going, no, I can't do that. Somebody else do it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas now I, I'm sitting there editing and I'm changing the tones in the background and I'm like, I, Steven Spielberg, eat your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. Will it make you more um, critical uh, maybe of oh, the people God. who work with you then to, to make your, your, your TV stuff that, and your videos and all that? That's a brilliant question. Um <laughs> You're going to be a pain in the ass, are you? I, I was a pain in the ass before this. When I was working on the last TV special, um, and I co, I, I was the producer, and I co-directed it. Um, and Alan Byrne, who was the director on it, was working with me, and I think I broke their hearts. Like you know, there was, you know, this what they call color grading and all this on, yes, on yeah, video. Yeah. And I was in the editing room for weeks and and I was still wasn't happy with it and eventually Tina just said to me it was impossible so now I now I'm actually not only not only am I working on colour gradients I'm I'm there with the editor going no 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 can we do this can we do that <laughs> the other so um, yeah I've learned an awful lot and sometimes knowledge can be a very dangerous thing can't, can't and were you the same in the studio I mean were you were I was you, always like that in the studio yeah. yeah I was always when it came to audio and it came to doing albums I was always, um, it was, it, it took weeks to get it. I was never, I never would let anything out unless I thought it was right. And even though 10 people around me could be saying, Tommy, it's, it's really, it's brilliant. No, it's not right until I say it's right. And when it's not right. Like even the last time we did the album and there was a song that was written by a really good friend of mine from Sydney, which we'll play today, um, called I'm Watching Over You. And 
It's not only about being right or being whatever, mm. but when we were putting the mix together, I got Huey. Huey wrote the song, Huey Scott Murray. And I got Huey to do backing vocals with his partner, Grace, in Australia and send it back to me down the line. So he kind of, he got carried away in the middle of the song. And when it came to the instrumental, he goes, hey, Tommy, in the middle of it. Now, to me, it sounded brilliant when yes. we were listening back to it. And Connell, the producer, was saying, no, I, I don't think you should keep that in. And I've dug my heels in to the point of I never used this before in my life. And he's like, I really don't think that should be kept in, blah, 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 blah. And I turned around and I said, OK, who's paying you to do this album? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I didn't think you'd pull that card. And I said, I just pulled it. So it stayed. <laughs> and it did. It stayed. And, I, I, and it, finally, he came back to me a few months ago and said, he actually really likes it now. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. Isn't so having it, the fight is usually worth it. Isn't it terrific? Yeah. Tell me about, uh, and of course it's a great idea for a, a Christmas present as well, the uh, three album set that's out there, the three CD set that's out there at the moment. Um, all these years? Yeah. It's the 30th. I'm actually, I can't believe I'm in my 31st year of what I did do. But yeah, um, and I when it came to the 2021, we just said, would we bring out a celebration album? And I didn't really want to because... I was then admitting how long I'm doing this and what age I am. And um, <laughs> it was going to be a best of. And then I thought, that's a very lazy way of doing things. So I wanted to do a few new tracks on it. And one of them in I'm watching over you. Um, and by the time we said we'd put four or five, by the time we started with four or five, we ended up with 10, which ended up to be 13. So we said, OK, let's do a new album and then put a double two CD set behind it as a retrospective and a, a best of so we kind of have three decades a, a decade per CD per, sorry per CD on the album so it's kind of it's a look back on the new the middle and the old of what I've done over 30 years And what about that look back and that retrospective and all of that I mean what was that like for you to look back on the material and maybe I mean knowing you you were you had a critical eye oh, I had an awful uh, criti- I had a massive well. critical ear on it Yes Um and to the point of some of the studio versions we had of the songs I didn't like and I dug out back to my iMove back back to the laptop again I dug out the live versions which I had been singing them for years by the time I did them live when I was in the studio I'd only sang them once or twice so by the time that settled in with me it was a few years later so eventually I went back on all the TV specials and started taking files out of those and saying I prefer the live version to the studio version and again Connell was sitting down with me going, I'm so sorry I taught you how to do this. <laughs> it's the bane of my it's life. It's the bane so. of my life. So, yeah. yeah, so I would, it took a bit of putting together, but, um, yeah. I, I, you know, even there was a version of a song uh, that I did on the album called Garden Valley, which I did with Didonan mm. back in the early 90s. And my voice in the early 90s was completely different to what it is today. And I can honestly say it's much better today than it was in 1992 probably has a deeper quality to it, it has a it? no it's actually the key has gone up is um, it? yeah no. but it's I suppose I'm more it's more controlled yes Um, I, I suppose I went to a voice coach many years after that so I learned an awful lot of different tricks right and it was what I, when I heard that when I heard that song that they wanted to put the original on with Didan and I said no I can't stand my voice in it there's a quiver in it there's I'm breathless It's I'm not breathing right in it and so I went back and found a, a live version that I did on my own and dug that out and said, no, this is the version that's going on. And you prefer that, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking of the big ones. I remember particularly, I mean, OK, loads of people have done it, but your version of Denny Boy 
Mm. I remember how that grabbed me because there was a whole other take on the song. And I often wonder where that came from. You know? I have a great story about that. Have you? I have. I remember I did that. The, the, the song is about seven minutes long. Mm. Um, but there's kind of... Um, is it an, not an epilogue? What's the, the beginning, a preface to the yes. song? Uh, where I kind of I sing it very slowly and it's a kind of a real trad thing. And I was doing Scorn and Og, or Fesh or one of them, and my dad taught me this song when I was about eight or nine. And I sang it, I didn't win, the principal's daughter beat me. Um, <laughs> And I am. Um, but you're not bitter about that. Oh, I was very bitter about it. It's still going on 40 <laughs> years later. But um, I, uh, I, I've got this thing in my head that, you know, my dad taught it to me, so his dad must have taught it to him and so on. And by the time I'd got to America doing a tour in 1993, um, and I was telling the story on the stage, I was singing Danny Boy. And I would go on stage and I made up a huge story about it that, you know, I'm, I'm the custodian of this great version of the song and was handed down to me through the generations and went on and on and on to the point of that I actually believed it myself. Um, and then one summer I asked my dad one time, I said, where did you get the version of Danny Boy that, um, you know, you taught me that, you know, where did, where did it originally come from? You know, the one that you got from your father. And he's looking at me and he says, what are you talking about, Tommy? And I said, you know, the version that was handed down, you gave it to me and, you know, one day I'll give it to my kids. And he said, I've no clue what you're talking about. He said, what, Danny Boy? And I said, you know the bit with the beginning of it? He said, oh, that. I got that off a Roy Orbison record. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my God. So that was my whole story in America destroyed. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I... That's fabulous. It's brilliant. And, yeah. you know, so that's where that version came from. Um, but I suppose I've always been very um, I suppose individual when it comes to putting my stamp on a song yes, yeah. and that it's it, I can I would never imitate or kind of try to be somebody else it is it has to be my version of it, right. um, and it, it I, I just is. feel that I, it, it's more authentic that way introduce the first piece of music we're going to have uh, a listen to because you alluded to this just earlier on Tommy to, this is written by Huey Mm. Uh, Hugh Scott Murray Hugh is a great friend of mine from Sydney and we work together every time I work in Australia um, and he's a real he, he comes from eastern New South Wales western New South Wales sorry um, and he lives he li what he calls a small holding of three and a half thousand acres <laughs> 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 and he's he's really a man of the land um, yeah. and you know I, every time I'm going over now in a, in a couple of weeks um, and first place I'm going to stop over is in Huey's for two days. Unfortunately, it's only two days. Um, but one, the last time I was there, I was there for about a week. That's one of the best holidays I ever had. Now, I was working, but I called over to Huey because I had a week off and I didn't want to be in the city. Mm. So I drove out to Huey's anyway and um, we went out. He said, we, we basically had to go bring in the sheep in. And we went out on horseback bringing the sheep in and wow. to get them sheared. I went sheared and sheep with them. Um, it was just... Um, magic and I remember I, was, I rang a video call Tina and she wouldn't come over at the time and I said you'd love it over here and you know we were shearing the sheep and then she said what planet on do you think that I would love shearing sheep and going out on horseback round <laughs> so it's kind of um, it's yeah. it's just it's special so anyway to go back to your question Huey wrote this song um, after his dad died and his dad had been cared for for many years by great people in 2014 and the song was basically written as a tribute to the care team that took care of him. And I didn't, he gave, he, he gave me the song in 2014 and I never did anything with it. I forgot about it, actually. And then when I was doing the new album, I just thought how fitting this song would be 
after everything that's gone on in the last three years and not just uh, you know the caretakers or people like that but there was an awful lot of people on front line you know um, supermarket workers um, all of those and it's a year of it's been a year many years of loss loss of mainly loss of life which is the tragic part of it all loss of health loss of work but loss of freedom was Mm. the big thing in my head Um, and that's what this song represents to me that all of these things over the three and the two and a half whatever two years of of Covid and um, I just hope it's I hope we've seen the back of it Under a sky of grey And you're waiting to see a shade of blue Take my hand Now don't you be scared Cause the road is long And I'm gonna walk beside you Rest your troubles on my shoulders for a while. You can take your next step, take them from my back steps, cause I'm watching over, I'm watching over. of Tommy Fleming I'm watching over you we have more from Tommy after these join the conversation in Tipperary contact us through Facebook Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. In terms of the newer recordings and the collection as well, uh, you got to work with Elaine Page, but again through the joys of wonderful technology and all. The joys of wonderful technology. And how I met Elaine again, back to the Aussie thing, Elaine invited me to do the Australian tour with her in 2014. That's when I met Huey. Um, and... Uh, it was brilliant because she didn't want to do a full two hours of a set so she she wanted me to share the bill with her which was a huge thing to offer me. Um, and of course I took it and I think she only ever called me by my first name when she was on the stage and every time I was off the stage working with her everything was darling. Darling. <laughs> darling. And um, lovely woman. Absolutely gorgeous person. And um, so we, came, we were supposed to do a duet for the Stories album in 2016. And that didn't come to pass because she was in Wimbledon and she was too busy. Um, it was Wimbledon season. As you do. As you do, yes. darling. And um, anyway, it didn't come to pass. And then this album came up and I sent her a text and said, would you be interested in revisiting the duet idea? Would love it. Let's, uh, as long as it's not a musical theatre number or something that's trying to show off or something that we're not competing with our voices. And I said, absolutely. So after a little bit of soul searching and digging, um, I came up with the idea of doing Why Worry by uh, Mark Knopfler and yes. dire, dire Straits. And I just thought again, how fitting for what we've gone through. When you see there's a line in the song, you know, Why Worry? Um, there will be laughter after pain. There will be sunshine after rain. And so simple, such simple lyrics, but yet profound. And that's what I love about it. And we're going to have a listen to it in just a moment. The uh, CD collection, all these years, available in the shops for, for Christmas. And tickets, if you can find a record shop. If you can find a record shop nowadays, <laughs> indeed. Well, a couple of good ones still around, Tipperary. Yeah, Thanks are. be to God. Yeah. Um, but in terms of tickets for the gigs, because you're in Racket Hall. I'm in Racket say. Hall, which I've never done before, actually. Yeah, beautiful gig. Ne- beautiful never venue. played Racket Hall yeah, before. It's the 2nd so of March. The 2nd of March, and I'm in the University Concert Hall in Limerick. So all tickets are from the box office in Limerick, University Concert Hall, um, hotel reception in Racket Hall, and TommyFleming.com. Right, a lot of our listeners go to the INEC in Killarney as well. That's on oh, yeah, the 3rd of March. That's the 3rd, third, that's the th- Friday, the 3rd yeah. of March. So oh, a wonderful venue. Yeah, I've been yeah. playing that for 20 yeah, years now. Yeah. And um, this kind of when we do the INEC or the UL, we're always coming towards the end of the tour, and then we finish in Dublin on the twelfth of March in the in the Boar's Gosh, where we bring the entire orchestra in, and um, and then I take six weeks off and I go to England and do five or six dates, and then I'm gone off in the camper van. Then I go to Australia in uh, September until Christmas. So it's, it's look, it's great. I, I kind of get the best of both worlds, Fran, and I, I'm enjoying it, but I'm really looking forward to coming back to uh, Racket Hall, back to Tipperary, because I haven't played a Tipperary gig in a while. I know, I know. Yeah. People are giving out. People are talking. People are talking about me. I know they are. <laughs> <laughs> Before you do Racket Hall, I hope you'll come back to us, because you I'd said love you'd to. come back and sing live. I'd love to come back and yeah. do a couple of songs live and, yeah. and figure out, yeah, I might do, definitely and kind of do a, a Q&A session. Wouldn't that be? <laughs> 
wouldn't that be fantastic <laughs> yeah, altogether? absolutely. This is uh, Tommy with Elaine Page and uh, Why Worry. You look after yourself and a happy Christmas to you. You too. Tommy. And listen, thanks a million, as always. And thanks to the listeners for the support. Um, without stations like Tip FM, all the local radio stations, and without listeners, and the, that without the listeners that listen to it and listen to the music, we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I am. And um, I can only always say thanks. That's all I can say. Baby, I see this world has made you sad. Some people can be bad. The things they do, the things they say. But baby, I'll wipe away those bitter tears. I'll chase away those restless fears that turn your blue skies into gray.
Two great voices, one great song. Uh, Tommy Fleming and Elaine Page there. And why worry? I love the little uh, piano motif and that it's gorgeous. Um, Fran, I love to sing when I'm working. Uh, unlike Tommy, though, uh, I wouldn't attempt to put my own stamp on any song. I always uh, like to get what's coming out as close as I feel the original uh, would be. And I actually don't like to, uh, listening to a singer putting their own stamp on a song. Having said that, there are exceptions. And I think Elvis did just that to perfection on numerous occasions. Yeah, it's an interesting take on things, I, I suppose. I think if you're doing a cover, you have to put your own stamp on it. Um, but I suppose the big example of that going wrong in recent years would be Ronan Keating's take on uh, the fairy tale of New York, which was, to be kind to it, unfortunate, I think is the word that springs to mind. Paul Lafford was on to say, Fran, uh, what a singer Tommy is, and a gentleman as well. A really enjoyable uh, interview, and well done. And congrats to Muriel and yourself on 10 years on the road. Isn't she a saint, says Paul. The cheek of it, Paul. Uh, one of us will be canonised anyway, that's for sure. Um, Mary was on to say, so lovely to hear Tommy. I always enjoy his shows. That's it from me. Uh, thanks to Emma who produced. Ali looks after her content. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.